listening to West of Middle East, a podcast about Middle Eastern changemakers living in the West. I'm your host, Niaz Kastravi. In season two, we feature changemakers working in and around the field of education. Be it through traditional academia, technology, the arts, advocacy, or movement building. Each episode shines a spotlight on changemakers doing everything from the ordinary to the extraordinary, humanizing their triumphs and struggles and offering a more real narrative of who they are to counter the often sensationalized and misconceived portrayals of these communities in mainstream media. West of Middle East is produced by the Neda Nobari Foundation, an organization supporting social and environmental justice through the arts and education. Women have historically faced challenges in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM. These fields have been and continue to be male-dominated. In the U.S., for example, women are only 13% of the engineering workforce. A glass ceiling, an invisible barrier that prevents the general advancement of women and girls in these fields, still exists. There are inequalities and sexism in hiring and promotion practices. There is a lack of support for women who enter these fields. There exists a stereotypical image of STEM professionals that is not friendly or appealing to many girls looking to choose a field of study. But a majority of women who enter these fields and are able to advance find rewarding careers. I sit down with Parto Aram, founder and CEO of Inspire Tech, a Davis-based nonprofit organization focused on promoting gender equity in STEM and supporting young women interested in entering these fields. Parto immigrated to the U.S. to pursue educational opportunities, but stayed as a result of political upheavals and a revolution in Iran. I came to Boston as a college freshman in the fall of 1977. And I was looking forward to going back over the spring break to visit my family in Iran. And I was getting close to the break when my mom called and said, you need to postpone your trip. There are people protesting on the street, there are tanks, and we don't know what's going on. So that was the just the beginning. It took about a year for the Iranian revolution to unfold. Then came the hostage crisis and then followed by a war that I believe lasted for eight years. The only family I had in Boston was my older brother. I had a younger brother in Vienna. And I wasn't able to see my family for a long time. And like many Iranian families, um, became permanently separated by the course of the political events. But it wasn't easy being an Iranian in America, especially at that time. The challenges I faced as an Iranian-American were both internal and external. Um, The external challenges were, of course, being far away, being very worried for my family and for uh, all the Iranians who were going through tough times and upheavals. It was especially difficult witnessing the prolonged hostage situation. I felt like I'm hit with a tsunami, very shocked, disoriented. I had no idea where I was going to end up 
being carried by this scary wave. And in the same time, I had to explain what was going on to the fellow Americans because they were also being splashed and affected by the tsunami. And um, you just can't explain because you're helpless yourself. You don't know what the outcome is. I had a scary incident coming back from New York to Boston on a bus terminal very late at night. The driver asked me where I was from. And when I told him I was from Iran, he became very agitated and He um, told me he believes that all the Iranians should be put in a camp and locked up and on trial. He was driving really fast and erratically, and I just wanted to come muster up the courage to somehow jump out of the speeding cab. But at the end of, very, of a very long ride, he did take me home, and as he was dropping me off, he said, you're a nice young lady, but don't tell anyone you're from Iran. I was scared and I decided that it was a smart thing to take his advice for a while. Internal challenges, uh, when I flew to Boston in 1977, my intention wasn't to immigrate. I came here to study, learn a second language and go back. And uh, this idea of going back lingered for a decade or more. I was kind of in an emotional limbo. I felt like my heart was outside my body back in the East where I grew up. And as I was gradually becoming an adult in the West, learning to speak better English and forming closer relationships, uh, getting to know Americans and the culture better, I eventually grew another heart. Now I realize that it has been such a privilege to be able to know and love two very different cultures and people. Becoming bicultural, I realized that all the cultural identities and social norms uh, that I've learned are not set in stone. And they're only constructs, they're made up. And you have the choice, discard what is not true for you and adopt what you appreciate from both the East and West. And it's been a tremendous opportunity for growing and becoming a more compassionate human being. For a while, she says, it was like having her heart in Iran while her body resided in the West. But she eventually grew another heart. I ask Parto about some of the challenges she faces in running Inspired Tech, a nonprofit that is dedicated to the advancement of girls in the STEM field. This organization is really the culmination of three things. First, my experience as a woman hardware design engineer and as a minority of one where I worked. And in general, working in high tech as a woman for 15 years. And then about 10 years ago, realizing that not much has changed for girls in STEM since I went to school many years ago. Secondly, it's my interest in art and community. And lastly, is my passion for social justice, gender equity, and also my studies in gender. The second part of your question was some of the challenges for founding and continuing this work. One of the biggest challenges has been uh, networking and getting funding. I'm not located in the Bay Area, and a lot of funders are located here, and they tend to donate to their immediate communities. Also, opportunity for networking and collaboration 
has been difficult because of that. The other challenge was that in the very beginning, the idea of teaching technology classes to kids, especially to girls, was perhaps very unusual. This is when the word STEM didn't exist. The museums and summer schools were not offering technology classes, computer classes to kids. So there was a lot of push to offer these classes to both boys and girls. A lot of folks wanted to sign up their sons as soon as they heard about robotics or programming. And I did end up offering classes to charter schools to make sure that boys were not excluded. But I was very determined, did not want to deviate from the mission of Inspire Tech. I wanted to create a girl's space and a curriculum that was geared toward girls' interests. And she knows firsthand the challenges of being a woman working in the high-tech sector. When I was hired, I was the only um, woman engineer that had ever worked in that organization. And sexual harassment was rampant. It came from all directions, the manager, colleagues, the people who worked for me. And also, I realized as time went by that I was not included in the meetings and gatherings where important strategic decisions were being made or just information about customers, about projects. And I felt very isolated in that sense. But I loved my job. And I did have, you know, colleagues who were very supportive in the same time. And I love learning new stuff. And it didn't really bother me to be the only woman because I grew up with brothers. But over time, the isolation became different and also difficult and also the harassment. So I decided to stay in high tech. I went to school in the evening, got my MBA, but move out of engineering And I ended up doing a semiconductor marketing for about eight years and still very male dominated, specifically semiconductor. I also learned a lot of great stuff and it was very exciting. Given her own experience, I wondered what are the goals she has in offering workshops to women interested in technology? I have a few goals by offering these workshops. Number one goal is to build confidence. And girls build confidence by meeting a female engineer as a teacher role model and also working with inspired tech interns that are young women studying STEM. And this changes the perception of girls who have not met a scientist or engineer who's a woman. So if you can't see it, you can't be it. And also by having a girl space. Here we give the girls a chance to experience competency. They can ask questions without being self-conscious. They can learn to make stuff and take chances without fear of failing. And this is very important, especially if you're a teenager or very self-conscious when you're in a co-ed situation. Goal number two is the Inspired Text curriculum. It's a deliberate curriculum. I incorporate art in addition to community building an emphasis on teamwork. I can give you one example of a community building project we did. I reached out to the International House in Davis and met a woman from Zimbabwe. And I had set up these projects where three students in my class would meet with her and spend some time to learn about the culture of Zimbabwe, how she grew up, the kind of food she ate. And then she would share a couple of recipes And the four of them would cook together. They actually went shopping and they cooked two Zimbabwean food. And 
the girls then took classes for me to learn how to develop and design a website. And they designed collaboratively, designed a website about this experience, incorporating a little history about Zimbabwe, uh, the cuisine, the recipes, videos of the cooking. They also uh, used motifs and colors from Zimbabwe and fabric to decorate the website. It was a really fun project, um, brought people together from different areas of the world to learn about each other. And also... Uh, the girls learned a technical skill. An additional goal that I have in my classes is incorporating ethics discussions. Um, when we learn about robots and robotics, I usually ask the girls, what kind of a gadget will you design if you are a robotics engineer? How does this impact your community? And I'm very interested in girls' perspective. And I have observed that lots of times they would like to design things that help enhance relationships, friendships, and also things that help people. Parto talks about some of the reasons she believes girls are discouraged or driven away from this sector. Why has it become such a male-dominated field? All the research that I've done uh, shows that gender gap is due to cultural factors that influences the girl's interest and confidence in these subjects. So they're basically societal factors. It's the high school counselors who don't encourage girls to pursue these careers, don't even think about telling them. Going back, it's the toys that little girls play with. A lot of toys that boys get to play with encourages uh, spatial thinking and building. And those are basically engineering disciplines and problem solving. It's the parents, lack of role models, mentors who don't encourage the girls. Also, the girls themselves don't want to be a nerd. Um, they've actually done a survey and they associate being in computer science with being white, male, nerdy stereotypes, somebody who doesn't have friends, who's not cool. Um, so I think it's what the little girls see in the world around them. It happens uh, unconsciously. It's an incredible cultural thing. Because of the great work InspireTech does to increase youth access to computer science education, in 2016, the organization was given a Google Rise Award. Parto talks about what this award allowed her to do. Winning the um, Google Rise Award last year was huge. It's given to organizations all over the world, and it is competitive. So InspireTech was very fortunate to be a recipient. It opened doors in terms of collaborative opportunities and recognition. And personally, I was very grateful. It validated the work that I do. With the Google Rise Award, InspireTech has been able to create a program to increase access to computer science for underserved girls. So I took the workshops to 100 girls in the after-school program in Yolo County. And the workshops had offered lessons in programming, computer hardware, electronics, robotics, tech art, as well as mentoring and role modeling. Though she is now the teacher, 
Along the way, Pato has had some impactful mentors of her own. Thinking back, I think definitely my dad. He always quietly helped others without drawing attention to it. Also, the director of the program that I was enrolled in, in UCD, gender programs, she inspired me to take my passion and put it to work. And I do want to mention Juliana, a teacher and a friend who believed in the crazy idea of computer classes for young girls from its inception about 12 years ago and has supported InspireTech ever since. I ask her to reflect on improvements she has seen, places where women have been able to break barriers. The focus of the nonprofit in the last two years has been to reach out to underserved girls, girls of color, who usually have no access to after-school or summer enrichment programs. So once they're in the class and I tell them about my background, and they're happy to see a role model who is an immigrant, but they don't necessarily sign up because of who I am. Uh, InspireTech is reaching out to girls of color. I think over the years, I've certainly seen an increase in certain fields, biomedical engineering and uh, programming. There are more women. In other fields, my specialization, for example, there are now less women than uh, when I went to school two or three decades ago. So I think you need to get to a certain level and certain number of people to break through. And perhaps in uh, programming and biomedical has happened, I think once you're over 30 or 40 percent, you're empowered to do more and you're encouraged to do more. And also, I think having mentors, having women in leadership positions that can help you. A lot of women who go to engineering school actually drop out after the first year. In fact, last week I was teaching in a class and one of the interns who was helping me, I was doing a presentation on history of women in technology and comparing it to women in medical field and in law. And this young woman broke down crying. She said, I was a civil engineer and I ended up dropping out after a year because I wasn't supported. My professors did not support me. So I think this happens a lot because you're only one in a class of 40 or 50 and maybe you're not doing well academically but you have no support, nobody to mentor you. So I think that also helps a lot if you have somebody who you can pair up with and have a mentor. The last few years, Inspire Tech has prioritized expanding their outreach and base. I think as a young person, I was interested in what can I do to succeed? As I'm getting older, I'm wondering what can I give? And towards the end of the gender studies, when I realized that nothing much has changed in the last two decades for girls in STEM, I realized that I can use my passion and also my skill in technology to perhaps make a difference. And I'm truly grateful that I've been able to use my skills and passion to create Inspire Tech. And I'm also very grateful for all the people who've supported me to do this work. I can tell you that the end of the most of the workshops, the girls are very energized, engaged, and they usually ask for more classes. 
And there's always one or two who say, I want to be an engineer. But, you know, at that age, like seventh or eighth grade, things change a lot. Some students I know have definitely gone on and taking more computer classes elsewhere. And few have joined the robotics competition in their school. Pato also incorporates social justice and promoting gender equity in her work. We all grow up with gender stereotypes, beliefs about intelligence and ability. In the media, many times women are portrayed as mostly pretty things, not as capable, autonomous, or strong beings. You look around and you see the gender power imbalance in many areas of our lives. Yet, all of this is normalized. We don't think about it or question it. What I do every day in my life, um, how I incorporate social justice, is by speaking up and highlighting the social inequalities that many different people experience, not only women. But I perhaps focus on gender inequality more because I, my daughters, and many other women I know have had to grow up with it and live with it. But the struggles she has faced in her life and her line of work have impacted her worldview and how she relates to others. In a way, it's, I think it's made me a stronger person and also more compassionate. Because once you are a minority and the other, then it's easier for you to understand other minorities. So there are many, even though each person has their own story. Each group of immigrants have their own story. I think there's a lot of commonalities. And I definitely, since last year, I've noticed more social activism. I personally have become more determined to reach out and help minorities, any group of people who's not included refugees. I'm more interested to reach out and give support, especially to uh, girls of color, to the refugee communities. And also, we do see an uptick in social activism. Women have found amazing courage to come together and tell us about being treated badly in so many professions. And for the first time, their voice is heard. Like so many others, Parto has felt the pressure of the current political climate and the anti-Iranian and anti-immigrant sentiment. I've incorporated art in my classes from the very beginning. In the first workshop, I remember we made a moving machine with a toothbrush head and a bunch of electronic bits that we soldered together. And then everybody in the class used this machine to paint collectively on a really large piece of paper. As a personal interest, I started using more technology, my own paintings, besides using a brush, acrylic, or oil. I also used data from the internet, coding, electronics, and computer bits. And I continuously incorporate this into my curriculum as well. Pato is also an artist and incorporates technology into her artistic work, which at first may seem like two very different schools of thought. 
They don't have to be different school of thoughts. I think knowledge a long time ago used to be all-encompassing. If you think of Greek philosophers, Aristotle, for example, he was both a philosopher and a scientist. So I believe all discipline can be connected at some level. Uh, They should be connected. Why not robotics with ethics? High-tech consumer products with communication and social studies? Uh, philosophy with environmental science. I also think it is so important to have women and all minorities who have not, who are not represented in high tech to take a seat at the table. Once we have a more creative, diverse force that is not so homogeneous, it is integra- it's easier to integrate diverse perspectives and ideas as well. What I find fascinating about the STEM field is the different ways that women think about and connect with it versus men. I'm certainly not an expert in male-female brain, but I can tell you a little bit about my observations. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of girls, these are girls from 10 to 17 years old in my classes, when I talk about robotics or technology or building, I show them videos and I ask them, what would you build? Lots of times they're very interested in building something that helps people, like a wheelchair, special wheelchair, or things that help their community, would help their mother, their sister, or people they know. And I can say the same is definitely true with boys, but you also notice that a lot of boys build things in my class that to fight with each other. So it's very important to have both perspective. Because as technology is becoming a centerpiece of our lives at a very fast rate, it's very scary what kind of gadgets we're designing. I mean, we already have so many drones and sex bots that obviously are designed by male engineers. So I think it's even more important now to bring in a female perspective to what kind of a machine we're going to be using, and also to be paying attention to what the ramifications are for introducing these high-tech gadgets in our life. You know, that's a very important question. Some of the studies that I read about uh, girls in STEM talk about how girls are very interested in science if it's connected and related to something else. If it's connected to something that helps people, or has some kind of a a social use. And this is stereotyping, of course. But for boys, they become very focused and interested on the technology itself. So they get very excited about an algorithm, for example, and very focused on that. But girls become excited about that algorithm if they can see a real-life example of what it does. So this is research on younger kids, both boys and girls. As far as products that are designed by mostly male engineers, a couple of examples that come to mind is, I understand the very first voice recognition system, kind of like Siri on iPhone, did not do a good job recognizing women's voice because it's a higher frequency. And it's because it was designed by men and there was no woman there to test it. So they had to go back and change the algorithm. And of course, half the people who, consumers who buy the phone are women. 
Also, the form factor of the iPhone is not designed for a women's hand. I read about a couple of companies that had designed this um, artificial heart that is used before a person receives a transplant. And the heart is designed, the specs are so that it fits in 85% of male chest cavity and only 20% of female chest cavity. And it's not as if the guys are doing this on purpose, excluding, you know, products from women, but it's the fact that there's no women at the table with them bringing this perspective and experience. And ignoring or excluding the thought process or input of women can have a very negative impact on the design of many technological gadgets that we rely on every day. advice to young girls and women interested in pursuing a career in STEM? I would say challenge yourself in two ways. Number one, foster a love of curiosity. Learn new things all the time. And also keep in mind that majority of designers, engineers, and people working in STEM fields are not prodigies. They're just like you and I. Number two, Push yourself to reach out and network. If there are women in your school or in your organization, reach out to them. If there are no women, ask the men to support and mentor you. And also keep in mind that it's not easy to reach out, especially if you're an introvert. But the more you do it, the easier it will become. Despite the continued existence of challenges, barriers, and glass ceilings, It's vital for us to continue supporting the advancement of women and girls in the fields of science, engineering, technology, and math. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because their progress inherently guarantees the production of more user-friendly, efficient, and reliable products and platforms, many of which can have positive, life-altering implications for the world. You've been listening to West of Middle East, You can hear more episodes about changemakers from the Middle East diaspora at westofmiddleeast.org or check us out on iTunes. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes. This podcast is created by the Neda Nobari Foundation, an organization supporting social and environmental justice through the arts and education. Our engineer is Rick McRae of Conscious Studios. Music is composed by Loga Ramin Torquion and Azam Ali. And I'm your host, Niaz Kasravi. If you want to share your thoughts about this podcast or have ideas for future seasons, email us at comments at westofmiddleeast.org. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.